Thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 Sleepers, and that was then, this is now. With the all-access patron membership, you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the Chills at Will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news. You will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure, 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what, Matt Bell, Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks, 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Jose Antonio Vargas, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Stephen, how are you? Oh, I say good morning again. You're on the you're in, in Britain, you're in the UK, so it's more <laughs> the afternoon. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. And um, the book is in back of you, perched very nicely. Um, I mine back of me here, maybe not so perched as nicely. What a freaking yeah. saga! What a what a book! Congratulations! It's yeah. um, people who will be listening to this, it'll be probably the 18th of April, which is your publication date in the US. Um, how are you, how are you feeling as, you know, in the run up to the publication and, um, you know, maybe tell us about some events or, or tours or anything you got going on too. Yes. Um, I'm feeling great about it. Um, just a wonderful time. I mean, I mean, I've been working on this book for, for so long now and, and it's just, yes, a bit surreal to finally have things together everything coming together um the reviews and very nice comments and uh yeah and, it, and it's just it's just wonderful um so the number of events i have like i mean i'm giving number of podcast interviews um and there are also other interviews coming up i think i have like a, an interview with some radio channels anyway i wouldn't i, I, would, I don't want to mention them now anyways so, uh, uh and some publicity events around the uk and and I was hoping to visit the US anyway, uh, but All right. for my pass, I was trying to renew my passport and came in very late. And the closest uh, visa appointment date I could get, uh, I mean, was um, August, right? So, and so it's that's a little bit far, but we'll see, we'll see. And uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, um, you know, I, I think one of the things people often say about US writers or, or excuse me, US readers and just U.S. literary cultures that we're, we don't know as much about the rest of the world as the rest of the world knows about us, right? Kind of a, an ignorance of that. Um, but tell us about some of the uh, the blurbs from some great um, U.K. writers that you've gotten. Yeah, I've got some blurbs here. Um, 
Rankin, Rankin, I've got one, right? Yeah, yeah. In Rankin, like Rankin said, um, quotes, this novel exudes a wonderful, wonderfully vivid sense of place and leads the reader inside the head of its teenage hero. It's a narrative of depth that also manages to be instantly engaging. And there's this very wonderful one by Max Potter. I mean, he says, quote, it's eccentric, profound, timely, specific, but it also has global concerns and a really, really brilliant central character. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh man, those are some great words. I, I love that. I love the idea that it, that it is eccentric. I, I hear that and I you know mean that in the best possible sense. There's um there's a scene in the book, I and mean, we'll talk more about the book specifically, but with um with Eileen and with Andy, and I believe it's Eileen who says um she's reading his poem. And she says, it's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. He, he's talking kind of about her, how much he enjoys it. And he writes that it's amazing how a work of art can live beyond its creator, um, you yeah. know, outside of the creator, et cetera. But yeah, I, I do wonder about like, do you, how much do you feel like the book is, is timely, like 2023, but also how it's maybe even going backwards, you know, like, is it how much it really talks about, you know, 1980s Nigeria, 2000, Niger you know what I mean? And even the future, like, I wonder about how yeah. much of a sense of place you feel like this book has because you talked about you've written you've, you've uh, written it for a long time or been working on it for a long time i mean in terms of place um i mean nigeria is this i mean my country nigeria and where and um, this novel is set so it's uh, uh i mean it's a post-colonial country it's it's so it's i mean so many things are happening and and when you observe the history of the country you begin to see i mean there's so many constants right so many things that i mean they haven't changed they are, they are still the same and and they will keep remaining, they'll, they'll remain the same even in the next 50, 100, 200 years or something. Yeah, they will still just be there. Yeah. And still, of course, and and it's also a place of so much turmoil. It's a country that, I mean, there are actually countries, and just is from of like three, four, five countries or so. They have all those melded together, forced. Together. Mm. And, and so, I mean, see, come to more. We're still trying to understand who we are. Are we Nigerians? Who are we given in Nigeria by, I mean, by a British woman, right? So, and and so, what, what is this Nigeria all about? And who we are as Nigerians? And and that is a, a constant question. I think for over the next hundred years, two hundred years, I think Nigerians will still be asking about. And that's what that's what this this novel uh, examines. And um, the whole concept of post colonialism and yeah, and what happens after? I mean, I mean. If people are, have been subjugated and and uh, and exploited and everything and and just their sense of self shattered and all and and all that um yeah that's what the book is and it just still keep remaining like that and and to talk about a few other things uh, like some of the themes in the novel I think themes that have to do with I mentioned post colonialism but also colonialism too um and themes of like uh, collapsed governments corruption. Uh, that sense, that search for identity and search for self, which I, I discussed just a moment ago. Um, so, like, like for example, in terms of like corruption and and the collapse of of the government, for example, these are like themes that have been part of Nigeria since I mean, since independence, since 1960, you know. And and I mean, my parents, I mean, we were dealing with these issues when they were little, very very little, and and my older siblings have been dealing with these issues, you know, and. And and now I'm dealing with these issues and my children and all and and all my grandchildren. If yeah, we keep dealing with these these issues and and the problem in Nigeria like this are actually like I mean in terms of things are getting worse exponentially like uh, 
I remember when I was little, sorry, I'm going to end in a moment, but when I was little, for example, uh, we used to have electricity for a while, like in Nigeria, for maybe like a day you could have electricity for a whole day, mm. and then let's say there would not be electricity for a while, and then you say, ah, and they would complain and complain, you know. Mm. And then when I was like a teenager, and then we, could, we, didn't have, like, we used to only have electricity for like, let's say, a quarter of a day, six hours or something, or something like that. And they will cry, cry, this are getting worse, this are getting worse. I mean, last time I was in Nigeria, I mean, we only get electricity for sometimes one hour a day or, mm. or for, for long stretches of, I mean, without no electricity. And like this again, and the population is becoming, is growing and growing at an exponential rate. And so, I mean, if you want to follow that trajectory, like you almost be, become so cynical, so pessimistic mm. by the country. That that sense of cynicism and pessimism definitely comes through. Yeah, so I get. I mean, you're talking about about the sense of it. Uh, you know, the way that your older your older siblings and your parents experience the same way. So I guess just going back to your own childhood, then you know, specifically with um, with regards to reading and the written word. You know, there are so many languages spoken in Nigeria. You know, Andy is I don't know trilingual, bilingual. He knows a little bit in some languages, Hausa, etc. He's able to get by. There's even a sense, like, it seems to me like um, even those who are Christian, they'll use the term Allah, right? Which a lot of people associate with with, with Islam. Um, so there's just like a, a way of knowing the world and, and navigating the world through language. What what were you reading um, as a kid? Were you were you reading stuff from like the from like the British from the British days? Were you reading Nigerian writers? You know, I again, with the idea of Americans sometimes being ignorant, I think a lot of us think of Chinwa Achebe. Which, which is not ignorant in itself, but as in like, we don't necessarily, our our list maybe is not that long of, of Nigerian writers that we know. We know Adichie, right? Um, but, you know, Achebe obviously was was world changing with his work, with things fall apart, et cetera. But it's just a long way of getting at what were you reading? Um, did you feel that you were reading, like, like Adichie talks about, you know, reading about like kids in England with snow. And she's like, <laughs> I've never seen snow in my life. You know, did you feel like you're reading work that was about you? Um, or, or that was just kind of that was given to you maybe because of the colonial system, like some Nigerian writers, for example, like you mean, just like middle for writers, access writers who I don't intentionally, uh, I mean, often have these middle class backgrounds and all that, and and so they have books around the houses and, and all that, and their parents are very educated, I know, but I mean, that was not my case anyway. Like, um, my parents only had like basic education, like, uh, mm -hmm. um, so there were no like books around, they were, I mean. We only had like the Bible and some religious texts, religious commentary texts like I like in the house and and so so I I mean for a good chunk of my life I, I didn't actually read right yeah I mean I didn't actually read read I mean read, read fiction I didn't even know what the heck fiction was anyway mm -hmm. yeah but I knew of course what films were would watch Nollywood films Hollywood films sometimes at home when I was little anyway but it was uh, until I I got a scholarship when also. A missionary school, a school funded by Irish missionaries mm -hmm. in Kotangura. Then um, that was when I, I first saw like a library. Wow! So that there could be a room with books in in, the, in this room. I mean, everything looks, mm -hmm. and I could just go there. You could sit down. You could read the books. You could, yeah. You I know that. If yeah, and I don't want to digress so much because because uh, the very first school I actually began attending. I mean, it was a very 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 very. Poor, poor school, and um, I mean, I said I learned how to read very late in my life. I think around like six or seven or something, and or was even eight years old or something, like a bit too, too late anyway. So before I got the scholarship to 
the uh, the missionary school. Anyway, and um, so the very moment I, I entered my school library, I mean, just well, yeah, I mean, I've lost come out in, in a sense. I've, st I've still not come out. I've still been there in in a way, like mentally, I'm just there, and my life has just been there. Because um, the very first I picked up to read, it was just this magnificent experience. It's it, it just made my brain to to become awakened and many aspects of myself that, that were dormant all just came came back alive, you know. And and so many of the books that, that were in the in the library, because the library, as I said, was and the school was funded by Irish missionaries, and and the library was actually full of books from Ireland, um, and and uh, of course. Irish literature, British literature, and all that, and and um, and most of these books were uh, donations by um, Irish children, Irish families, and all that. And yeah, you see when you open some of the books, you see the names of the books. I know, yeah, the names of the children and all that. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's very nice. It's a nice way to learn many Irish names. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, then my school library. So I mean, of course, I read you know really student stuff, uh, student literature, for example, like I mean, the Little Mermaid, like is it the Adventures of Pinocchio? I'm not sure if I'm saying that title correctly. Um, but some of the books that stay with me, that usually stay with me, were books um, like um, the first is um, the Swiss Family Robinson by yeah. Johann David Weiss. Um, so a children's edition of the book. I mean, when I read the book, then I didn't even know. I thought that was. The book that was actually the book, but it was actually an abridged version uh, of the uh, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was the beginning <laughs> and the end, whatever. And of course, read uh, Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Tom Sawyer by okay. Mark Twain. Um, uh, many, many books by many other Nigerian writers, uh, like uh, The Bottle Leopard by uh, I don't know why I'm finding it difficult to, to remember his name now. Whatever, I'll come back to that. Um, so many, yeah, but most of the books there were by, by Irish authors, most of the um, like Dao Dal, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and yeah, and these books were really wonderful. But again, uh, in, a, in a sense, like they, they, they about things that I didn't know, in, or in a way, they were like seeing like a reality that didn't exist for me at the time into my, my own. I mean, more reality at, at that time. Mm -hmm. For example, I mean, I was reading books about sandwiches. You know, everybody was everybody seemed to be eating sandwiches, <laughs> and I thought sandwiches had sand. That sandwiches uh -huh. are made of sand and uh -huh. something like sandwich. Or I was uh, it or something. And uh -huh. and um, I mean, here of um, I mean, everyone is wearing a jacket. Someone like, what are you wearing jackets? Like, uh -huh. what? Why? Yeah, all this kind of stuff. I know. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean that that was much later. So I mean, I saw as now as a little child, so I read all these books. But as I as I began as I grew older, and uh, like I ended up reading like most of the books in in the school library, and and there was almost nothing to read. So I began to read the encyclopedias. So hmm. and I would read about American history, British history, electronics. Hmm. Uh, I mean things about science and all that, and just anything. And, and I would borrow the encyclopedias. I would take them home and I would read. Own art history, all the great art pieces, and, and all that, and it was really wonderful. Um, but as I grew up later, grew up, I so I read other books too. Books that I like some of my friends who had siblings who were studying like literature and all that. Um, so I would I would borrow their books, and I ended up returning them because they were really asking for the books, and so mm -hmm. and so I had like many books, yeah, at home, which which were not came mine anyway. Um, so I read um, of course, one of the books that one of the most important books I read at that time uh, was uh, 
Black Boy by Richard Wright. It was okay. just this amazing, amazing book because, wow, I mean, I mean, on the one hand, because at that time, anyway, I had already known that, or I already decided to become a writer, or, or I had already fallen into the team, falling in love with the written word, anyway. And so, and, um, uh, and so I've been reading about this book with uh, the main character, and wanted to be a writer. So, and, and then, of course, about this place called America, I mean, growing up, of course, I've always, we always hear about America, we always wish to go to America since when we were little, from, since, very, since we began to speak, I know. Mm. We're speaking up talking about America. That's on that topic. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm about to go to at some point. Anyway, um, yeah, so Black Boy by Richard Wright. And then I mean and, and then like the book just awakened me to in in, in different sense, in a way that's like it made me realize, oh, that I was black, right? Like, oh, like that I am actually black at all, right? And that's um and it hugely depressed me because it seemed to like foreshadow in a way the kind of world I would navigate as an adult. I mean, a, a world of injustice, a, I mean, a racialized world, a world of bias and all that. And 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 so, and it was just so, so depressing in many ways. And and also uplifting too and empowering. And of course, most of the time in my life as a teenager too, I read, I mean, yeah, so I, I didn't have anything to read in my school library. So and luckily for me, I had the internet. That was where, I mean, we had mobile phones and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I would, um, and then I mean, you, I mean, that's such like uh, the project is it Gunterberg? Or I don't know whether that's the correct pronunciation, or whatever. So, project Gunterberg, they have like ebooks of the classic, the classics there, and okay. and then yeah, and that was when I first, of course, read uh, Franz Kafka, the metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the texts he referenced here. So, already on my phone, I had a, a Motorola flip phone then that and a very tiny screen, you know, and I was, yeah, cool, <laughs> and, 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 and read these books, and yeah, yeah, wouldn't enjoy um, I was some of these classic writers that I couldn't I couldn't find around me, and yeah, so I read, read them online on my phone, and mm. yeah, let me know. Let me let wow. me put the post here. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So, so Richard Wright, of course, which is definitely very well known in, in the states. You talk about Joyce. You talk about the Metamorphosis. So, you know, there's I'm seeing some connections between Andy and yourself. You know, you talk about the uh, the missionary <laughs> school run by the Irish priests. You know, um, yeah. you know, you can you can say ah oh, no not not even. I'm I'm nowhere related to Andy. That's not him at all. Totally fictional. But you're talking about getting, uh, going to the to that school, and of course in the book, the metamorphosis is a big part. It's a big part of um conversations with with Eileen and Andy. And I I wonder, and you talk about translation. It would be I guess what originally in the German, into maybe into English, back into you know whatever whatever other languages. You know that famous first line from the metamorphosis. I wonder what yeah. When you read it, I wonder what you're seeing. Are you seeing like a beetle? Are you seeing like a like what kind of insect are you seeing? Are you seeing like a gross scrub scrubby type of thing? Or I just wonder because that first line is so famous. Yeah, that first line, I mean, a very famous line, and 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 it's really so, and it's a wonderful line. Um, I mean, it's a line that lends itself to so many interpretations. Yeah. I mean, as a as a young black uh, Nigerian boy, I mean, when I when I read it, then as 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 a Nigerian man too, that I am now, and and uh, now reflecting the book and what it means for us. Hmm. Waking up suddenly one day and and discovering that you are black or you are African or you are yeah. whatever whatever the West in, and the, uh, designates designates you as anyway designates you to be, you know. Um, uh, for and when I read the book, there, I mean, I read, I can't realize any how old I was then. So uh, I think the, the translation, the version I read was the one I had in Birmingham. Okay. So 
So I think I had to look up what what vermin was, what what vermin was, and and so just so I mean, it was like um, I mean Nigeria is this place where, I mean you are all I cared was where things are a bit too pristine, whatever. But I mean this tropical place, and we have we have different kinds of insects. Mm. I mean from beetles, termites, ants, like different insects around you all the time. I mean mosquitoes and all that. So so it was just so yeah so vivid for me. Like could just see. <laughs> Could just see, yeah, could go some side becoming any of those creatures, you know. Yeah, I've done I've done a couple. Uh, I I did a couple an episode for the podcast just about about that book. I I read it when I was about twenty one, twenty two, and I was so excited, so hyped for it. I thought it was a little bit too too on the nose, but I've reread it recently, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I definitely have a different view. And I've read, um, you know, some some case studies of it or or, or analyses and. I've come around. I'm obviously a class. Like even when I wasn't necessarily loving it, I I could recognize greatness. You know, maybe it wasn't my my cup of tea or whatever. But all right, well I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting to. I just think of like all the different translations it's gone through to get to us. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Whoever the readers are. So, well, yeah. um. So I'd love to talk about what what really you know you talk about what you're reading. What really made you say like I can do this? I can be. I can write like Kafka. I can, um, I can, you know, maybe not write exactly like him. Yeah. He's got, yeah. A, he's got a distinctive style or whatever, as do you. But just like, what made you want to be a writer? And what were some of maybe some of the Eureka moments where you said, like, I can do this? People, well, let me ask you. I mean, did you have a blog like Andy? Did you, did you do poems? Like, did you win a prize? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I had a blog once. Yeah, I mean, I would just then win. Then we all. Then we all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just a blog, and they just make a post, and then of course, and that is the end of your blog experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So as a teenager, around fifty, when I was like around this age, I started writing poetry. I, I mean, I fell in love with poetry, and yeah. there was so many poems, and then so we published, uh, published like on Nigerian, like Nigerian papers, uh, magazines, and, and and all that. And of course, ha- having access to the internet, and then like I just sent my poems out and. Same published like a number of US like uh, literary magazines. I mean, of them are actually like defunct now. I mean, anymore, and it's a bit sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was incredibly proud of that anyway. Um, sorry, I'm digressing again. I mean, your, your question was about uh, just kind of like what were some of like some of the catalysts for you really getting into writing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think this was 2005, right? 2005. Um, that was some months after my father had died and. Yeah, I think I was around 11 or so then. Um, and it was just this, this afternoon, like this afternoon, yeah, uh, I'd finished completing my my homework and all that, right? And and, and it was very hot, and I was just sitting outside on the mat outside my house in Nigeria then. Yeah, very, very hot. I'm talking about like 40-something degrees. Ooh. Yeah, Celsius. Yeah, so... <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, yeah, so I was sitting outside my house, and, and then... Yeah, and that was after like... Like a year or so after I began reading books, literary books, uh, novels, storybooks, you know, from my school library. Um, anyway, so I was sitting down outside the house, and then I just found myself with my with my parents just writing a story. Like I just it was really fun, it was really weird, and also, but it was it was as as if I was doing something I don't know something spiritual and again something illegal at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. So I was just writing, I was writing a story, and I was writing and writing and writing and. Then it was just it was really fun and, and it felt very empowering. And for example, while, while writing, I could create things and, and they would exist. I mean, for example, the story I was writing about was um, about a war in the animal kingdom, how 
the fish were ostracized and uh, how they had to they were forced away from the land, how they had to live in water, adapt, struggle to adapt and all that. And yeah. And then like at so while I tell the story, I could just see, I could just do things whatever I wanted to do. I could create trees with eyes, with hair, I could I mean create I mean rivers that spoke that sang and all that. So I could do all these wonderful things. Yeah. For an eleven year old boy really. So and it was just, as I said, very empowering. Anyway, and I, and I showed the story to a schoolmate of mine at the time. And, and after he did it, he just couldn't believe I was the one who wrote it. Yeah, he mm-hmm. thought Bert had copied the story from a story book somewhere. And yeah, and, and, and I was passing it out as, as mine anyway. And I think that was really amazing. That, should, that made me feel, think, oh, that maybe I could actually write. Maybe I could actually mm-hmm. do this. And maybe it's something, maybe it's actually like a gift or something, whatever. And it, as I said, very empowering. And it was just so fun to do, just... Like I just couldn't not write, right? I, I I just had to just write, and I was just writing and writing and writing, and I experimented with different forms, different genres. I mean, like plays. I read a lot of plays when I was young, and I, I said later on poetry and all that. And I think for a young writer, it's just very very important to try your hand and to yeah, not master, maybe not master, but to I mean to be very very confident, conversant of these different genres of, of literature, and because I think it's. Actually, for for a fiction writer, for a novelist, because they all it all come together at some point, and, and the novel just the novel is just this beast, and that you you would have to confront a beast with different faces, different powers, superpowers, and and you have to have like for me the way I see craft, different facets, different dimensions of like strength to confront this beast. Add to a question you asked me originally. I think, like, like when, when I was writing this story, that this story as an eleven year old, I because I, I had this huge love for words. I just I just can't even describe it. Like what words can do. I mean, they're just letters. I just words. I know, but what but what they can do and what it, and the impact of the impact they have. Uh, what we consume them in like, like the impact in our psyche and in our emotions and all that and whatever. So I just had this huge love for, for words. And I think, I mean, the love and the fascination for, for words, for writing, yeah, for the spoken word, written word, I know, came from, I think, from my experience of uh, being a Christian, right? Like my parents would take me to church and all that. And, and in church, and in the Catholic church then, I mean, the priests would read from these sacramentary, these big books, holy books. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really some wonderful poetry. You wonder, oh, like, who composed? I was wondering then, like, who composed all this stuff? Like, where did they come from? And mm-hmm. who, who were they? Like, what, what were they thinking about? I mean, I was so fascinated about all these things as a little child then day. I think all that spoiled, spoiled the love for writing, for the, for the word, for the written word and all. Yeah, yeah. Man, I appreciate that. that what, a, what a beautiful story just about your first story and the, the fish and just like, I know that excitement you're talking about, just like, I, I created this. This didn't exist before I wrote it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. The, I mean, shoot, the young Stephen with the allegory, huh? About the fish and the kingdom. <laughs> like, and, well, yeah. I mean, well, and I appreciate, too, the connection, obviously, with, with Catholicism, with Christianity. I mean, right, there's so much allegory. Yeah. Um, I mean, depending on the way you look at the Bible, right? But there's so much allegory there. The fable, you know, the the the, mm. the, the, the parables is the term we're looking for, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Um, I never do testaments and all that, and uh, it's so wonderful yeah. as a child hearing all that. Yeah, yeah, very good you, training for a writer. Right, and you and and you you see the difference right between some of the priests who are incredible orators and some who maybe not, 
know. Exactly, exactly, right, exactly. Right. That. And and it just it's like some priests. I, I just I really love them because I mean they, they were just pretty right. I mean they, they didn't have like prepared speeches. Maybe they had maybe they had some lines planned, whatever, and directions, whatever. But but I I was just so amazed with how I mean how creative they were, like white speaking. They, they could I mean they could move from different kinds of tones from from the from humor and then and then to I mean very visceral, very like poignant mm-hmm. I mean topics to very heartbreaking stuff and like they had this huge range of of the, of engaging an audience and of yeah and of uh, manip- not manipulating of uh, of using emotions whatever of, of dispensing emotions and I, I found that really wonderful yeah really wonderful definitely I wasn't I didn't I didn't grow up with uh I didn't grow up with parents or or anybody who really you know who told me like hey the Bible is literal but that's what I assumed right as a kid you assume like yes there was literally you know Adam and Eve and literally this happened literally people lived to 500 years old and I just remember <laughs> like um you know maybe late junior high high school just like you know even priests who were like hey you know this is allegorical and telling the history of you know why you know Mark wrote it at this time and who wrote it with them and yeah that was such so mind-blowing to me right just like that it is allegory that is it's like a you know a lot of it's fable and it's meant to tell a story and they were you know looking for your certain audiences like you said all that i wonder then maybe about perspective as you got into writing this book and working on it just i'm not sure exactly when you moved to the uk but just the idea of like what moving to the uk maybe allowed you to write about nigeria just like you know the idea of if it's been five years or 10 years or 15 years you see your home or you see your place differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um I think I mean luckily for me anyway, I began writing this book in Nigeria in, in okay. June twenty eighteen. And yeah, so so I wrote a very quick draft, like within two and a half weeks then. Yeah, on my Blackberry phone. Because I used to I love my phone. I mean I mean there was this very personal device. Yeah. Yeah that I would just create could just Focalize on sentences, uh-huh. and all that scenes, and all. So I like very full, and it's really wonderful. Anyway, and I wrote night, night and day, night and day, and all. And yeah. So, but uh, so I wrote a very quick, quick draft in Nigeria, and then, and then when I came to the UK uh, to do an MA, study for an MA in creative writing at uh, University of East Anglia. Hmm. Um, so and 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 so I. Because when I when I came to the UK, I then I began the second iteration of the novel, and. Uh, so I, I mean, I already for from the first draft, I only saved like the first, uh, like two pages. Which these first two pages were just so special. That came to me, like in a very wonderful, wonderful moment of inspiration. Anyway, that mm. was in twenty eighteen. So I, I saved these first two pages, and and then I began the novel from scratch. And and then this second iteration of the novel was really helpful and really really powerful. I mean, it made the story come even more alive because, um, I. Was, I was now like a bit far from home. I was not far from home. I was now there was a sense of distance, huge distance between me and 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 my and the place I was writing about, and that's actually made this place much more palpable, uh, much more real. I could I could see it in a much more clear way. Uh, uh, the emotions were more intense, and hmm. and there was this huge clarity. Whenever this very very huge clarity that came from this distance, yeah, and. Uh, and just aspect of myself, aspect of my family, my friends, my community, I couldn't see. I could just see them so clearly. And and so I was just just writing with so much fever, with so much <laughs> yeah. so much so much uh, anticipation, so much uh, 
Julian, I know that's in the end. So are you saying you are you saying you wrote the first draft in like two and a half weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote it because um, the the as I said um, like the novel began from one one evening like that. I was, I mean, that was no. I mean, I could trace the beginning of the novel to many events that happened sure. before that in my life. I know, uh, yeah, and some of the things I had been writing before then. But, but for, the novel began one evening in twenty eighteen. In June 2018, I was just sitting in my little room, and then this powerful voice just comes to me. I mean, a voice full of urgency, hmm. full of so much uh, guilt, shame, um, and, and like a desire to confess, desire to be heard, you know. And and so I was just more like a secretary. I was just transcribing whatever whatever this voice said to me and all that. So I so I wrote this 500 word uh, 500 uh, word piece that uh, that that at the time felt like the most truthful, most powerful. If it's written like uh, I mean, piece of writing I had composed up to that time. Anyway, so after writing that, that after composing um, that that passage, and that passage, mind you, is is actually the opening of the novel. Ah. Yeah, it's opening. The, it's still the current opening of the novel, anyway. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I wrote. Um, so after writing that passage, so I spent like some weeks just trying to like sketch the world, sketch my characters, and uh, write so many vignettes and all that, and. Uh, and so once what I felt I had something to something to work with, you know, and then and then I started writing morning after night, morning after night on my Blackberry phone. I had another phone that I used for uh, I mean for keeping in touch with people. So with that phone, I just turned that phone off for like two for the two weeks, right? Two and a half weeks. Uh-huh. Whenever I was just writing morning after I was just I just wanted to like prove myself that oh I could do this, I could, I mean, I could have like that's why no matter how rough it was, like it it drafts. Of like of a novel, I mean, so at least start to reach forty five thousand or fifty thousand words, like just to just to, to, to get that done. Because before that, before that time in my life, I'd I'd always wanted to write a novel, and then I would write like fifty pages, and I would lose interest, or I wouldn't know how to develop the story, and and then I would move on to something else, and I would write under hundred pages, one hundred pages, and then I wouldn't know how to develop the story, or I would just lose interest. Anyway, and uh, but this was like oh, like I knew I had, so, I felt I I had something powerful, I, I something something that that is going to help me to not just understand myself and to come to terms with many many issues. And you said you said that, that first the first chapter, right? The the dear white people, the idea of the blonde, the blondes, right? That that was the first thing you wrote. Yes, yes, that was that was the first thing I wrote. Um, that was just I mean the very first idea I mean about this novel that that I, that I knew belonged to the novel. I know, right? I mean, as I said, uh, it's I mean this voice and this voice that came to me in this wonderful, powerful moment of inspiration, and and I just began writing, and, and that was actually the very first. Yeah, first piece of of the novel that, that, that I wrote. Yeah. Well, when when this book gets all the awards and your future books get all the awards like that, is it, do you still have that BlackBerry? Like that's going to be like yeah, in the hall of fame, that's gonna be like in the museum or whatever. You know? <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Like an artifact. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I can show you if you want to, but uh, yeah, I'll put anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So yeah, like we talk about, first part of the book is you know starts off it's like. Like dear white people, and it's just about like Andy saying like I love blondes, right? 
Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love Moss. And it's, um, you know, I, I saw one of the reviews of the book calls it, you know, tra- a tra- I don't know how you pronounce it, tragic comedy, tragic comedy. Yeah, tragic comedy, yeah. And I mean, there is definitely some some humor um, for sure, just like in that it is eccentric, in that it is, I don't know if sarcasm is the word, but just like, um, I guess, satire. I, I've tried in small batches and it's really, really hard to be funny on the page. How did you pull that off? The comedy I mean, part. Honest, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I actually didn't know that, that the book was funny or hilarious or whatever, or satirical. Honestly, I was just writing and I mean, I mean, just most later on that I realized, oh, that when I write now, I would chuckle now and then, but I just thought, oh, I was just chuckling from, from just recognition, right? I'm recognizing where some of these yeah. things were coming from or what I was trying to do and, and all that. And uh, so it was after I had a uh, sense a few chapters of the novel to my agent and and then she read it and wrote back to me that oh this is so satirical this is so funny and uh, and movie and all that but and so I, I couldn't believe it. I was actually like really are you sure this is funny and then mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so it was it was just purely accidental but but it makes sense because I mean Andy like deals with the novel deals with so many um like very tough issues really big issues right uh, mm-hmm. I mean issues stemming from like uh, I mean the legacy of colonialism. Uh, I mean, I mean the search for identity, search for self. Um, I mean the, I mean the legacy of trauma and all that. And 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 that was just like the the most engaging way, or like like the most engaging way, wherever to to convey this uh, narrative element to the reader. And mm-hmm. yeah, in a way that it's not of putting and it's it's fun and uh, and because again, I mean. It tells from who Andy is. He's just this 15-year-old boy. He just wants to have fun. He wants a better life. Who has these funny friends? And uh, and I remember I remember myself too at that age. I was, I mean, although I was very, very introverted, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, just a time of fun too, a time of humor and laughter and all that, yeah. Yeah, appreciate that. You know, the book is structured into The Five Sorrowful Mysteries. Obviously, that's the title is The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. And, you know, it's The Agony in the Garden is the first um, I mean, it's fitting that we're talking, you know, a day before Easter, um, you know, where <laughs> I want to say all these take place at what Holy Thursday, Good Friday. And and yeah, I mean, within 48 hours, as far as, the, you know, the, the Christian calendar goes, if you will. So it's the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning of thorns, the carrying of the cross and the crucifixion is the last. And then with each of those, there's like a there's a theorem. Right. And this idea of like a permutation in permutation theory and i was telling you before we were recording i'm so impressed at the you know like the mathematicalness of it if that's a word um but i kind of wonder how permutation theory comes into play like is you know permutation in my basic understanding is the idea of like different ordering of things is are you trying to get at like the the arbitrariness of of life in some ways why was i born here why was she born there why was the sister born first why was you know that kind of thing. I wonder what, what you're going with the, with the permutation um, references. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a very powerful question. Um, I mean, what the, the suggestion you made about, I mean, the order and all other things, like why was I born here, the randomness of things, or mm-hmm. how, yeah, that, that's like a good explanation too. But I think something, one of the things I was going for, um, and while writing this book, I mean, I, I have a background in mathematics. Uh, my first degree was in math, I know, I told you first degree, yeah. Uh, my first degree was in mathematics, anyway. Um, and so, like, when I take this book, anyway, I 
I began to realize how many things about like being Nigerian, being black, being African, for example. Yeah, where I, I actually had so much to do with permutations because permutations are all about, I mean, giving like a discrete but uh, definite arrangement of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have three elements. You could have, let's say, a ball. You could have a water bottle. You could have a kettle. And yeah, but I mean, once you, you just change the arrangements, you just bring the kettle first, and then the ball, and the, and the, yeah, and it, everything has just everything is just changed. You know, like that just brings a different a change in these elements. Um, and then I was thinking how things like race, for example. I mean, race is just like a permutation. I mean, being black, being white, and all like. It's just part of ourselves that I mean, just the color, like it's just changed and all the change, just different order ordering to hmm. to who we are as humans and all. Like even and I don't know the things that I I'm examining the book. I mean, the the sense of uh, duality, identity, and all. And like for example, Andy has I see Andy as having these two like selves, this African self, Western self, and all. And and these selves are ordered in, in just different ways and. But in just many other young Africans, many post-colonial people, like for example, like my friends and I, when we, when we were young, like we had just this, we had this, these two selves, whatever, in, in continual conflict, and and we ordered in just different ways. So whenever I was looking at how things like race, class, even like the inter intersectionality of of, mm -hmm. of life and many things, I have to just do with permutations, the ordering, how how things are ordered, I don't want. And that was and that is where that where that whole motif comes from, and the motif of ordering and the, yeah. Mm, I appreciate that. So you know, so early on in the book, we have you know with uh, I'm sorry, remind me of the priest named Father um, McMahon. Right. Thank you. So Father yeah, McMahon. So he he yeah. has his he's the you know the 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 British, maybe originally Irish, right? The the um from the UK, and he's been there for I think 39, 40 years at the church. And his niece, his niece is Eileen, and she's coming, um, she's arriving, and it's a big deal. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, that's the big deal that she's coming. There's early descriptions of of Andy and his connection with his mom. Um, in many ways, he is everything that she lives for, right? And in other ways, it seems that she, you know, that, I mean, that he has hurt her. I mean, he physically hurt her, literally hurt her, right, with the cesarean section that needed to be done um then in some ways you know rendered her her very hurt and you know i don't know if the term in the book was like genderless but like i mean we get the impression that did major major physical damage when he was born is that safe to say yes yes um yeah and yeah yeah being a genderless you could say in that sense well i mean yeah but that's gender is a very very complicated and powerful thing anyway so we right. don't want to go that far anyway but uh yeah cost us so much damage yeah yeah. And I mean, it's clear that she's, she's loving. She's also um, very mysterious. Um, she's been through a lot in her life and that's to, to say the least, that's to, to put it mildly. Um, and so Andy has this uh, ghostly friend, this mysterious friend, this um, conscience of sorts. I mean, it, I'm a little, I was a little bit slow on the uptake. It took me a while to realize this is Andy's name spelled backwards. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, do you pronounce it? Yidna, or how would you? How do you see this? Uh, this compliment, compliment. You know, not not like as in giving someone compliment, but complimentary. Compliment complimentary yeah. person. How would you describe <laughs> yeah. Yidna, or I don't know how you would say his name. Say the name even. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, I think that's fine. I mean, or you, or you could say it now or something. Okay. You know, anyway, um, I think readers should be supporters however they want. But um, um, yeah, so um, so Andy's mother, right? Before she has Andy, like two years before she has Andy, she um, gives birth to a child that is stillborn baby, you know, and yeah, and and so I mean, the trauma of all that, anyway. It's mm-hmm. I think it's a trauma that's. I mean, she also passed on to Andy in many ways, mm-hmm. which, yeah. And and whatever, and uh, so Andy grows up knowing about this brother who he, he never has, who he never had anyway. Um, um, and 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 this brother too, and this brother becomes, in fact, his alter ego in many ways, because um, Andy feels that uh, this Edna, because so Andy names his brother Edna, so Andy feels that this Edna is somebody who, who is his, his other self, right? His his more African self. And he mm. and he recognizes, he's so self-aware to recognize that he's like a much more Western person possible. I mean, he desires, I mean, Westernization, he desires, I mean, a Western woman, a blonde, white woman, mm-hmm. and everything. And and uh, so 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 Edna is is just this African aspect of and is his African self, I know, and who and he often gets into conversation with. As I said, from the trauma of his of his mother and all that, that's that he he perceives through through the person of Edna anyway. And um, and Edna helps Andy to unspool himself uh, for the reader and uh, and to I could think aloud to understand the world and everything and and uh, so essentially Edna is just Andy's African self who because mm-hmm. Andy, Andy feels that oh Edna would uh, wouldn't wouldn't be loving blunts like he is. Uh, that Edna would love Fatima, I mean, his Nigerian uh, best friend and his Nigerian friend, anyway. And um, yeah. Mm. yeah. I was like, oh, dang, that's, his, that's the name spelled backwards. It took me a little while to get <laughs> <laughs> If you're talking about like, you know, his mother as literally his mother, but maybe representative of more, I mean, Andy's literally, that's not his given name, but he's given the nickname of, of Andy Africa. Like, I wonder how much you see Andy is just like a, like a stand in for like a, a pan-Africanism or like a just you know the African as in like uh you know where Chekhov would use someone's last name as like you know Mr. X or Mr. Blank. I wonder how much you see Andy as just as as Andy himself, Andy Aziza, I believe would be his name. Yeah. Or, yeah. or how much you see him as Andy representative of of a bigger, bigger group. Yeah. Um I'm I think readers who read this book, readers who read this book will see how there's like this underlying theme of duality and and there are usually these dual structures sometimes in opposition sometimes maybe not in direct opposition mm-hmm. um i mean dual structures like science versus faith science versus the arts mm-hmm. poetry versus mass all that kind of stuff i know i mean yeah and the Idna, africa versus the west similar like oppositions many dualities like that and, and i think in this sense too yeah and this and this mother and the but just kind of like Andy is as representative yeah. of something bigger. Yeah, I know where I'm going to now. Anyway, so <laughs> Andy, yeah, and so you could read Andy's uh, character in in those in this in these dualities in these oppositions as Andy as this one is this Nigerian boy, this Nigerian boy, this post-colonial object, I know, right? Yeah, and and you could also see him as representative of, of his country, his continent, and yeah, and because if you read the novel, you see there are other like dimensions to the story, uh, like. Like a superhero kind of mm. uh, narrative, like going through uh, 
going through the story, whatever. Like you, you uh, like Andy and Sims himself, and as, as well as his friends, as these superheroes. And uh, like Zara talks about them, about African children, about Africans being superheroes, which is wizards and all that. So that superhero narrative that 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 he is best placed in a position as a superhero to confront and to defeat the issues facing his, his community, his country, his continent. Um, and these issues uh, and these issues, these problems are formed or are brought together as as a composition in the form of um, HSVX, like the course mm-hmm. of Africa mm-hmm. and all that. So so Andy is a superhero who is supposed to like defeat HSVX. Yeah. And this is as his destiny and all to do that, to destroy all these forces. HSVX stands for like forces such as uh, colonialism, kleptocracy, slavery, all, all, the, all the like huge negative uh-huh. things. They have objects that have befallen Africa and Africans. Um, and also like to also refer to your other question about uh, Andy, uh, about Andy's different selves, like uh, like Edna too, because Andy, like, Andy's story is also like a superhero story and those superheroes also have, uh, usually have like this, the origin stories and this uh, mm-hmm. and this alter egos and 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 that is what Idna is to Andy like he's this alter ego his own alter ego who he's in constant competition in constant I mean he loves this this person and he wants to be that person but he also doesn't want to be that person at the same time and and that's the complications that form the story. Hmm. So the HXVX is described as. A tetragrammaton shorthand for the curse of Africa. It's there's even a math formula. It's you know Sauron. Help me if I'm saying these words wrong. H H X V X equals Sauron plus Thanos, and and it's this idea of the infinity sign that you know the 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 curse of Africa in some ways is is infinite, which obviously is not. Which obviously there's a, there's a huge pessimism there, but there's also a, a big optimism with um, Zara. Right? She's a really interesting character. She's maybe I think she's like 30, right? So she's not like incredibly much way, way older than him. She's kind of like a cool older sister, aunt type of thing, right? But she's a teacher and she, um, you know, she talk about eccentric. She writes, <laughs> she doesn't write, you know, canon, canon literature or whatever. She writes a lot about any futurism, right? The idea of like animism mixed with, with yeah. like Afrofuturism, right? And yeah, yeah. And I'm again so impressed by so much you do in this book with the the math formulas, with the the dualities, the the work with with Christianity and religion. I'm so impressed that like you're writing within your writing. I mean, there are little poems within, right? Yeah. There's, um, you know, you have speeches from like the priests. You have speeches from Zara that are like on their own or like so cool. You're getting into their own personal voice, so many different tones and stuff. But you know, she she's one of those people that we all know who's just like. She's down to give a lecture at the drop of a hat, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's so fun. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what um how would you define how does she define like anti-futurism and how did you how did you um draw on real life, you know, philosophies and theories and how much of that is kind I guess fictional? Whatever. I mean, anti-futurism is just my own personal creation, right? Um, of course, I mean, standing on the shoulders of wonderful theories on um, animism. I mean, how black people, Africans, for example, would reclaim the, the, I mean, the, the the philosophical construct called animism, anyway, um, and Afrofuturism too, and uh, yeah, this huge, wonderful um, way for black people, for Africans to 
African Americans, anyway, in particular, to to like reclaim the history that we never had, the past we never had, and to create a future that, that we've been denied and all that. Hmm. The African Americans and Black people worldwide, everywhere, have been denied. Anyway, um, so so Zara fuses this this two disparate elements and animism. The, the, the animistic theory of, of, of the world, how the world is animated, everything about the world is sacred, it's animated, it's alive, it's living, and all that. And how, I mean, it has to be, we have to give huge respect to nature, to things around us, and not just to be crazy, crazily destructive as, as we humans are in general. Uh, and, and Afrofuturism, too, I mean, as I said, claiming the future, the past, and the future that, uh, I mean, the, that we didn't have, we've never had, that black people have never been like given and all that. So all this now, because Andy now, on the one hand, Andy, Andy like seems to proselytize the West, uh, the Western ideas, all these things that have been fed to him and that he has been made to confess and all and all that. So, and and then like Zara is, presents this counter narrative to mm-hmm. his very Western conceptualization of the world. Zara brings a much more African, yeah, philosophy and and so and so because i i was interested again in duality i, I don't like i'm not usually interested invested in stories that seem to just take one slant telling yeah. like i mean the novel because i think the novel should present the world in its different facets in, in when i opposing however conflicting i mean they are and 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 so that's what, what i'm trying to do in this novel i mean andy sings the praise of the west he wants to be white he wants a blonde girl and there are like oh like Hey, as a, as an African, as a black boy, you are you are powerful. You you've come from this huge history, this history that you've been denied that that's mm-hmm. that Western religions wherever have denied. I mean, has denied you. But you've come from this wonderful heritage and things you should be proud of and things you should use to create a wonderful future for yourself. And mm-hmm. and she talks about how Africa has. I mean, the future of civilization and the and despite how pessimistic things might seem, I yeah like. That, that is what it is, and yeah, and, and that is what I mean. We young people, writers and intellectuals and scientists and all, like we try to make, yeah, yeah, Africa to be. appreciate that the the friends are so well drawn um there's maraca yeah um, <laughs> right he's the rapper i was hoping yeah. he would have written some lyrics but that's all right i want i want to get an idea no, i want to get an idea what kind of rapper is i guess he's pretty pretty good right i mean he had some he had some really good um some fans for sure he had some groupies for sure um yeah. right we have slim we have fatima or fatima who's who you referenced like you know, she's described as, I mean, for sure been victimized in her life. She's yeah. also like Andy. She's in- incredibly gifted. I mean, they have really deep, profound talks about all kinds of things, um, science and religion. And, you know, it seems like she would be the perfect match for, for Andy. She's very, she's beautiful, um, but she's, you know, friendly and incredibly, like you talked about, gifted. Um, but he talks about this it you capitalize the it it yeah. that keeps him away and i think a lot of this is what you're talking about this western desire etc the term is drooks is that like yeah drooks yeah. buddy homie like how would you describe Drew? yeah yeah drooks i mean it's um i mean it's not my creation right it's uh it's it's a it's a word from um anyway it's not in popular consciousness whatever but it's a word from um 
as when the Borgeses um, novel, a Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Ah, so it's yeah, uh, yeah. So and uh, so like a lot of references to I mean to Clockwork Orange and uh, but yeah. but the book the word is used. Yeah, it's 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 like a popular consciousness. People use it every, every day and out and there. Uh-huh. So I wanted to draw from that and um, from to reference that to me because I'm hugely hugely interested in uh, intertextuality, how texts hmm. I mean speak to each other, reference each other, and all that. I mean because in the, in that in that book now I will see young people who are who have been made to become antisocial or whatever. Like yeah. I mean they go around committing ultra violence and in a way that's what Andy in a way promised his love for his country and humanity. That's like what he he he's uh, that that is what he, he tends to he seems to, to be doing anyway. That convenient that ultra violence against his community like kind of the mm. kind of a philosophical ultra violence whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, from Anthony Budges, yeah, wonderful book, Clockwork Orange. Oh, I love I love the illusions. I love so, there's so many references. I'm, I'm not necessarily a Star Wars mm-hmm. fan, but you know, great Star Wars references <laughs> and just I love the the pop culture references. And it's you know, it's yeah. it's very it's very contemporary, but it's also just classic you know literature. Yeah, you talk about the dualities. You know, there's you know, so Slim Slim is is openly gay, right? He's openly homosexual, and it's really cool that like for his maybe friends, not, yeah, you know, maybe not that open. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. With his frenzy, yeah. with his frenzy, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. You're right. Of course, of course. He's he's not out yeah. and about in in the town, in the city. Yeah, because, um, yes, because it can't be right. Mm-hmm. And ugh, yeah, right. And he, I mean, you know, towards the end of the book, they're 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 ramping up, um, you know, attacks against homosexuals, and he he definitely has reason to yeah. be to be scared, unfortunately. But you know, like Maraca more so than Andy, Andy a little bit. I mean, these are kind of like the stereotypical, just like dudes, right? They're just you know they're talking about their conquests and you know, trying to get tail and all of that. Right. But, uh, but yeah. it's pretty cool. They're like with slim. They're, they're not, they're not homophobic. It's like, all right, cool, man. Like he's just one of the guys. Um, So there's a duality there where within that small group, within his friends, it's, you know, you know, he has a breakup when he, when uh, is a wonder, you know, leaves him. They, they feel bad for him just like they would anyone else. Yet the duality is that in the greater society and parts of society, he's, he, he unfortunately, he needs to be scared. Right. Um, Because there are attacks and such. Yeah. Part one ends with Olga Oliver, and he is representative of, you know, people who have tried to get to Europe. Um, he's gone across the Sahara. He was he was beaten, I believe, right? Beaten badly. Yeah. And at the end, you know, he's someone that he they they make fun of him. He, he all he can say is water. He's just like almost like literally like a shell of his former self. Later yeah. in the book, he comes back to health a little bit, but. But he just, he's just really like a, a stark reminder at the end of part one about kind of what might be what might be consequences for leaving when, of course, they do see positive consequences, too, and talking to OK, et cetera. Yeah. The party, right? The party. Eileen comes and it's like, you know, so that the parish, the compound and son. I mean, it's like it's the parting of the seas, right? When she comes out, it's like she's an angel or a dignitary, <laughs> right? Princess Diana all over again or something. Man. Yeah. Um, and Andy can't believe it. He meets her pretty much right away and they start talking about poetry. Um, but there's somewhat the, the scene at the party, which is kind of a which is a longer scene, but it's so well drawn. There's there's Andy and he watch he's watching his mom stooping down. Keep emphasizing yeah. the word stooping, and he just doesn't like that, right? He feels, you know, why is she doing that? She's a photographer, but why is she stooping yeah. before these people? Yeah, right. Um, people. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's the there's Chief Onu and throwing the money. And there's the <laughs> choir, 
Um, you know, Andy kind of like talking with the priest who is seeing the people dancing. He's just kind of like, what is going on? Talk about a surreal scene. And again, you know, Palm Sunday was six, seven days ago. It's like, Eileen's <laughs> entrance is like Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right? And so yeah. I, I, I got to think there's, you know, the satire there, you know, and Andy even talks about with Eileen, like, whether it's to be white, whether it's to be different. It's like, why did my soul choose this body? Yeah. The idea of like the first and the greatest mistake. So I guess, um, you know, there's so much, there's so much coolness about how you flip, you like flip the classic scenes, right? There's this, you know, Eileen, who is, you know, she's not a colonizer, but she comes from the colonizers, right? She, yeah. um, I mean, literally from a missionary family. And obviously there's been a very problematic history of missionaries. Yeah. And so I just wonder about this idea, you know, even later on in the book when they go to a restaurant together and she is just treated like an absolute queen. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. hey, Andy, Andy, what do you want to eat? And what do you want, my, you know, my liege? So I guess kind of like <laughs> um, kind of about Eileen and just how she's representative of a lot more or, may, or maybe not kind of what you're trying to do with the, with her character. Yeah, Eileen is just, she's, I mean, this interesting, very interesting and young white woman. I mean, blonde, right? Platinum blonde. <laughs> um, yeah, and who, who is like Andy's major test in life in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, she's everything he wants. Like in a way, she's everything he wants. She's beautiful. She's blonde. She's caring. Yeah, we see aspect of, of, of all that from her. And the, yeah, but in the end, she's just representative of, of this West, this Western life, I know, and the, yeah, and and of of course the violence of the West, and and we see in their their relationship how she subtly, very subtly, subtly, right, continues this kind of violence. So we see it, and like yeah, and and in what she she desires in Andy, and we see the kind of um, like the tokenization, right? She's mm-hmm. like he's just this black guy, and she and she has, she, she, I mean, she's just on a holiday, right, right in the summer, and she's just this experiment for her. I think mm-hmm. in a way she's. He's just this experiment, and and uh, and in many ways, whatever she represents this, I mean, this a law of the West, and and ev- the, everything that he wants. I mean, she's been to all these wonderful places, right? Very she's worldly. Been, she's yeah. lived in Paris. Mm-hmm. She's 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 uh, I, I mean, lived the kind of life. I mean, she eats things that he dreams of eating. I mean, like mm. she, I mean, she eats croissant for for breakfast and all right. And he like and it's like oh, like he eats this, like it's something like you he would even want he would want to win have the taste to know how it is right mm. um so the, the, the a lot of the ways and and uh, and also and this camera too in, in a way and this objects whatever this person you know this thing that, that he wants this wonderful life in the west that's that the west has sold to him as the as the standard the ideal yeah i mean the ideal sense of beauty like she has to be i mean a woman has to be like uh, slim tall blonde white everything like that is supposed to be how a beautiful person should be, and so I told us, so um, just me to examine all these different narratives and these complications and all that, yeah. And she's for, she's a fun person to be with too. I mean, Andy has, I mean, some fun time with her too. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I love how you flip it on his face, like ideas of like tokenization and fetishization, right? Like, yeah, he, 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 yeah. he literally carries around a lock of her hair. Yeah, and how they both actually fetishize is each other. I mean, he yes. fetishizes her and she to him too. And so just one straight, plain thing or whatnot. And so I just wanted to examine those two aspects too, together. I mean, right. the Africa versus the West, West versus Africa too, at the same time. Yeah. Without, I'm really going to tiptoe around in, in a lot of plot, especially towards the end, because the, 
you know, I mean, there are so many incredible themes, but also the plot is just so interesting and such a page turner. But, you know, the some the final scene, you know, with her is, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotional and frenzied scenes in the book. That's not one of them. But just the the quietness of that scene is so affecting. It's like, oh, man, it's so upsetting in in a in a great reader way for a reader. It's a great way to be upset. Um, just so skillful. There, are, of course, you know, Thank you. even with even with the party, you know, there's the um, obviously one of the themes is like the sectarian violence, I guess you call it, or, or religious violence um, with the Muslims and Christians in in the area. Um, you know, there are there's there are attacks on Andy himself, on Andy and, and the people around him, um, and that becomes a huge part of the book. And with with that, you know, Andy just talks about the the curse, the curse of Africa again with that pessimism. And there's always Zara and others, you know, in his ear, like, hey, there's a lot of, there are great things here, and of futurism, et cetera. We start to learn the secrets. The secrets start to unfurl as the book goes on. Like I said, it's just, um, there are some crushing moments because of how well you play the plot, you know, when you do the big reveals. You know, it's very much ripped out of the news headlines in some ways, but also in some ways it's, it's so timeless. Um, you know, again, I don't want to gloss over a lot of the plot, but I want I want people to read this book. I am just so impressed. You are, I want to say, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I'm twenty nine. I'll be thirty uh, in August. Yeah, With, you know, I mean, the whole left brain, right brain. I mean, math. You know, math. All the incredible <laughs> expertise you have in math, and then you write this book, which is uh, is going to be a classic. It's an instant classic. Yeah, I hope so. Appreciate oh so. man, oh man, it's it's <laughs> gotten you. so much. It's gotten so much pub ahead of time and it's I was so I was expecting big things and it, it went above and beyond. I really want to encourage people to buy this this book. You know, there's a lot of discussions to be had. You could just rest on your laurels if you want. This is like this book is incredible <laughs> and you put it out in the world and you could be done. But I wonder if maybe you have any ideas of uh any future projects. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I, I see myself as a I mean I mean, right, I, I'm hoping to have, I mean, a long career writing and there. I mean, as long as I, as long as I continue, continue to love the whole written world, I know. And yeah, I mean, I, I, there's just so much to write about. Uh, for my country, I mean, so much is happening every day. And like a lot of it is very, very heartbreaking stuff, I know. But, mm. but for a writer, it just presents you so much amazing material. Like you you are just so spot with like, so many things to write about like what would you where would you start from right hmm. um yeah so so my next novel is going to be so i'm just here at the kind of a, a at a crazy creative like crossroads right like oh where am i going to go next and all that mm -hmm. but, uh, but i just can't wait to just get back to i mean writing my next novel yeah writing notes i mean about myself and uh, like developed a, a good routine i think and uh, like a good way of thinking about crafts about i mean art in general and i just can't wait to see like I mean, the next stage, the next stage for myself, I mean, and to to see how how far I've come, how how well I've developed, how well I've, I've matured, and uh, mm. um, because I started writing this book around when I was like in my when I was twenty four and all, like, and and then now I'm now almost nearly thirty, and I think I've grown in many ways, so I just can't wait to see to see how that reflects in my writing. Yeah. Do do you give yourself like like are you like a really structured writer? Do you give yourself like prompts every day, or is it more like hey, whatever I see in the world, and and I kind of see, I I take that inspiration and run with it? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I'm still I'm still like just starting, right? Um, yeah, and, and like this book has challenged 
my, I mean, many ways, uh, the ways I used to think about craft, or I used to think about myself, mm. like uh, in the connection to my craft. For example, uh, before writing this book, I didn't know, like, I had like a range, this kind of range that I could write something like a book that, would, that could be termed to be satirical, that, that would be called a tragic comedy uh, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so whatever, I, so I'm just open to just to, to, to seeing what comes, what comes around. I mean, I write a lot of notes. I write so many, like every day. I'm adding, adding to my notes, right? I have so many. When, if I, when, when I'm not like writing creatively, and mm-hmm. um, and and like this book too. This book came from that some strong planning. I, I planned some some stuff and some things. Just I just wanted them to just happen organically to see mm-hmm. how yeah how things come because to discover many things. I mean, that is the phone, right? The phone is. Yeah. Discovering as you write and all that. So we see that just for me, I have to just try to discover more about myself as a writer. Yeah. As an artist. Yeah. If you read this book with a with a Catholic lens or with a religious lens, it's a great book. If you read it with, you know, as a as ooh, I'm gonna use the German word Bildungsroman. If you you know, a coming of age yeah. story is gonna <laughs> it's gonna satisfy those. If you read it strictly for the the soap opera quality or the plot quality, you're gonna love it. If you read it for ideas of you know, Afrofuturism and and ideas of the continent, you're gonna love it. So such a verse, such a just a, an incredible read, and uh, I'm just amazed at how you put everything together, you know, structurally and made it one of those things where like the the sum is is more than its part. So congratulations, and again, it's awesome talking to you. Thanks for letting us get into your brain a little bit and talk about rationale and background. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for all the kind words that you used to describe my book and. Uh... Yeah, very, very odd. Yeah, and it's been a wonderful time. I mean, being here, I mean, just talking about books, talking, I mean, I'm very passionate about literature, books, and all that. And it's like, yeah, so it's just a very, very, very good time spent, you know, yeah, well, time well spent. Thank you so much. Same. What, what, what better is there to talk about than books, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much. Captures the word, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For those who are listening again, it's probably uh, April 18th or so. Go get this book, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. I do have a good day. Thank you. pleasure it's been to speak today to Stephen Burrow. Continue good luck to him with his writing and I'm so looking forward to continuing to follow his career and his important work. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. You can also ask for the podcast by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills of Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. The last episode for bonus was an episode dealing with second person writing, particularly the great writing of the late, great Jonathan Gold. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. 
Please tune in for episode 179 with Eli Craner, whose critically acclaimed debut novel, Don't Know Tough, won the Peter Lovesey First Crime Novel Contest and was named one of the best books of the year by USA Today and one of the best crime novels of 2022 by the New York Times. His highly acclaimed Ozark Dogs came out on April 4th. This episode with Eli will air on April 25th. For now, thanks again for listening. And remember to get this book, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa, through Bloomsbury Publishing. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Stephen Burrow, whose work, like the aforementioned The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.